Hello, Gold Avenue Church. This is Pastor Jalisa here with you, and today we will be finishing up our Blessed Hope Sermon Series, where we've been digging into Jesus' teaching about his glorious return and what the parables that he taught show us about living lives that are prepared for his return. So today we're still in Matthew 25. We're going to finish Matthew 25. We've gone through the parables of the servants where we looked at living lives in obedience to our master. Then we looked at the parable of the ten virgins and we talked about that oil, that spirit, the Holy Spirit and being full of the oil of the Holy Spirit and living in diligence and watchfulness. Last week, we looked at the parable of the bags of gold or the tenants, and we talked about using our gifts as a way of preparing for the return of Jesus. And today, we're looking at what has often been referred to as the parable of the sheep and the goats. And while this particular teaching functions a lot like a parable in that it's a story that points to a higher or bigger meaning, what we're really looking at is the climax, this final culmination that all of these other parables point to. The story of the sheep and the goats points to an actual moment in time that is coming. It points to the moment when Jesus returns for his people. And so with that in mind, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dig into the word. And so let's pray. God, I'm reminded of how you tell us that you live in us, and that we're united by your spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you that even though we're in different homes and places right now, that we are together in you. And so, Holy Spirit, wherever we are, I pray that you would manifest your presence, Lord, that um, we would feel your presence and that we would be caught up into your presence as we dig into your word. God, I ask that you would empower the preaching of your word and that you would anoint our ears to hear. And Lord, particularly with this message, I want to pray against fear. This can be a scary thing to think about, but Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear your heart of love through your word as we dig in. God, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as we said, we are in Matthew 25 and we're in this final section. So that's verses 31 to 46. Here we go. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you um, may know that my husband, Brendan, and I, we recently celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. And I know that's a small number for some of you, but I can't even believe that it's been six years, but it has. And as a a stereotypical female, in the days leading up to our anniversary, I found myself doing lots of nostalgic sort of romantic reflecting on our years together. I thought about the highlights, the laughs and the trips and the adventures and the accomplishments. And I also thought about the lowlights the disagreements, the disappointments, and the difficult times. And as I was thinking through these things, the good and the bad, I realized that in both our areas of success and our areas of less than success, the one factor present in nearly all of these scenarios was that of priority. In seasons and times where we shared priorities and worked towards them, things had gone really well. And in seasons and times where we maybe had different or uncommunicated priorities or where we didn't focus on them, things didn't go as well. The other uniting factor in all of these scenarios was that of the effort and energy put behind our priorities. It's one thing to say something is important and another to live like something is important. And it makes a difference. 
If a couple decides that they want to save money, but one person spends excessively or needlessly, that priority may have been shared verbally, but really it doesn't come to pass. It's never accomplished. If people decide that a project is important, but parts of that group are unwilling to work for it, that priority doesn't come to pass either. It's never accomplished. If a friend agrees that consistent time together in a friendship is important, it's a priority, but one person in that friendship doesn't make time for the other, that priority doesn't come to pass. It's clear that acting on priorities bears good fruit and that failing to set them and act on them produces the fruit of disappointment and disunity, plus the reality that whatever that priority was doesn't happen. Whatever is made priority in this world is what is accomplished. Priorities are not set to be talked about. Priorities are set to be acted upon and accomplished. This seems to be exactly the point that Jesus is making in this final story, in this sermon about the end and about his return. So Jesus has been telling these different parables and all of them have something to say about preparation for return. And he concludes this whole long sermon with sort of a random and even alarming picture of a shepherd sorting goats and sheep. Now, I'm not a shepherd, and so I had to do some digging here. And I learned that in the time of Jesus, goats and sheep would have been kept in the same herd. Now, I read that they were often separated at night because goats need to huddle together for warmth, whereas sheep can handle the cold. But generally speaking, sheep and goats would be together and mixed amongst themselves in a herd, and they would have been cared for by the same shepherd. Interestingly, sheep and goats also probably would have looked a lot more like one another than they do today. See, today's sheep have been bred to produce more wool of a certain quality and color, so they look a little bit different. Whereas in Jesus' day, sheep and goats would have shared a pretty consistent range of size and shape and color. So really, from a distance, only a shepherd would really know the difference between a sheep and a goat. But sheep and goats are still very different creatures. Science tells us that goats are actually significantly more intelligent than sheep. Evidently, I mean, I haven't tried this myself, but I've read that goats can be trained. Goats tend to be bolder and less skittish than sheep. So shepherds would keep a goat with his sheep. Because if a shepherd could train a goat to follow commands, the sheep actually follow the goat. So instead of needing multiple shepherds to keep track of a herd, a goat could be used. Isn't that interesting? If there isn't a shepherd to follow, a sheep will follow a goat. And the thing about goats is that goats have minds of their own. Now, we've probably either had exposure to goats or we've certainly seen the funny videos of goats because they're sort of these outrageous little creatures. Goats are hilarious, but they can be so rebellious and naughty. 
Goats can even be destructive. They tend to be stubborn and self-absorbed. And a goat does whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. So imagine with me here. Here we are on this hillside or a pasture, and you've got sheep and goats grazing all around together, all mixed amongst themselves. You can't really tell the difference between them. And the shepherd climbs to the top of the hill, and he starts to call his flock to him. And as they all swell and swarm together and start to move toward the shepherd, the shepherd starts to separate them. He uses his staff to guide the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Now, I'm assuming at this point in the story, the disciples may have been a little bit confused. Like, okay, why is there separation happening? And what is Jesus trying to say about the day he comes back? So he goes on. Then the king, this humble shepherd who has now become a glorious king in our story, will say to the sheep on his right, who now represent his people. Come, you who are blessed, you who have the favor of my Father in heaven, take your inheritance, and that inheritance is my kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now there's an automatic question here, like, wait a minute. Why do the sheep go on the right and why do the sheep on the right get the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? And so Jesus immediately answers the question. He says, for, or rather, because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you visited me. Now, it's fascinating here that the sheep are really surprised by this. They're confused. Wait a minute, Lord, they say. When did we feed or clothe you? When did we visit you? I would remember if a king knocked on my door, and I would certainly remember visiting a king in prison. When did this happen? So Jesus explains. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did... For the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's shocking. This this would have been shocking to hear. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. Whatever is given to the needy brothers and sisters of God is actually given to God himself. Next, he looks at those on his left those likened to goats who go their own way. And he says, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus is not pulling any punches here. Four, because I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty And you refused me water. I was a stranger and you ignored me. I needed clothes and you left me without. I was sick and I was in prison. And you did not help me. The goats are shocked too. (laughs) Wait a minute, they say. 
Certainly we would have noticed you. You've never knocked on our door. We've never met you on the street. When did you ask for clothes or need to be visited in prison? And Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, whatever you failed to do for the least of these, you failed to do for me. Again, the economy of the kingdom of God. To refuse or ignore the needs of the least of these is to refuse God himself. Jesus is sharing a picture of his heart. He's identifying his very deeply personal priorities. His heart is for the needy of this world, for those who hunger for food and for the word of God. His heart is for those who thirst after water and the living water of God. For those who long to belong, to have a home and a family. For those who need protection and covering. For those who are sick in body and in spirit. And for those in bondage, whether physical or spiritual. These are his priorities. The sheep who share and live for the priorities of their shepherd stand to inherit his glorious kingdom prepared for them at the dawn of creation. But the goats who did their own thing who had their own priorities and as such have aligned themselves with the devil and his angels, inherit the eternal punishment prepared for them. Now it's crucial to note, there is no option C here. Now it sounds funny to say, but nobody gets to be a neutral cow in this herd. They are either sheep or goat. They are either aligned with the shepherd or they are aligned with the enemy of the shepherd. Now this is cause for alarm. How is it that a goat can hang out in the same herd as the sheep and still somehow not inherit the kingdom? As we've said, generally speaking, now again, I'm not a shepherd. This is, (laughs) yeah, generally speaking, Sheep are selfless. They don't have their own agendas. Sheep share the shepherd's priorities. Sheep are loved and tended and cared for by the shepherd, and in return they follow where he leads. They do what he asks. All of this produces the fruit or the wool for which they were intended. Together, shepherd and sheep share and accomplish the same priorities. But goats are rebellious and selfish. They're preoccupied with their own plans and ideas. They may live as part of the flock. They may even call the shepherd theirs. But when given opportunity, they do what they want to do regardless of what the shepherd has called for or expects. They are part of the herd on paper or in word, but they do not share the heart or the priorities of the shepherd. When we connect this 
story or this picture of the sheep and goats to the second part of our text about responding to the needs of the world, Jesus' point becomes clear. There will be tremendous reward for those who share the heart of Jesus and who pursue his kingdom priorities. But there will also be tremendous eternal punishment for those who live in pursuit of their own priorities. It is one thing to hang out with the herd and another to share the purpose of that herd. It is one thing to be around a shepherd and another thing to be in relationship with and submission to a shepherd. It is one thing to confess to be a Christian and another to live like one. And we will be held accountable for the degree to which we share our shepherd's heart. We will be held accountable for the degree to which we pursue what he pursues and value what he values. If you want to be ready for my return, Jesus is saying, be my sheep. Share my priorities, my purposes, my values. Make them your own. But what does that look like? Now, in many contexts, this narrative has been taken quite literally and specifically. The understanding has been that Jesus is pointing out that his people are responsible for the physical and financial needs of this world. It's this understanding that we're talking about feeding the hungry, taking on the orphan and the refugee, caring for the sick, and tending to the needs of those imprisoned. And all of that is very true and important, but it's more than that. And I want to point out a few specific things about this description and what Jesus is actually calling for. So first I want to clarify that as Reformed Christians, we affirm that our salvation is by grace alone and not by acts, good works, or striving. This narrative is not an invitation for us to be really fearful and to start to strive and compensate and do good works for the purpose of earning a ticket to heaven. But what this narrative is, is a clear picture of the difference between those who share the heart and priorities of our king and those who go their own way. It's a clear picture of the rewards and consequences that will come to pass for those who are in Christ, all in, and those who are not. Second, this is not by any stretch an exhaustive, full, or legalistic list of tasks to do. It doesn't cover every single act of mercy that Jesus would be honored by, nor is it some sort of checklist where we should go through and check the box, right? Like I gave some food, I gave some water. That's not the point. Again, Jesus is drawing us a picture of his heart, his heart of mercy, to have eyes that see needs and a spirit that is willing to put one's own needs aside to meet them. Caring for the least of these may look like feeding the hungry. It can also look like a kind word, a meal, a tank of gas, a hug, a prayer, even a hard conversation. Mercy can look a million different ways. It's about sharing his heart. Third, 
Jesus doesn't just refer to the least of these. He refers to the least of these Adelphoi, or brothers and sisters. And that's really, really important because Jesus is pointing out the crucial element of relationship. He's not referring to charity for the sake of charity or some sort of like cheap grace. He's referring to kindness and compassion that flows out of relationship with him for the sake of relationship with him. Within this short passage, Jesus packs in both the calling for extraordinary mercy while simultaneously pointing out eternal punishment. This is a paradox of love and justice, love and truth, all mingled together. As we read through the Gospels and pay attention to how Jesus cared for those in need, the pattern is that there is a moment where the Gospel is preached, where faith is acknowledged, and where sins are forgiven. The point is that Jesus longs for right relationship and with the world. He longs for us all to know and to walk in the light and the truth, to be conduits of his life and his light and his love and his truth, because he knows the cost of not. Jesus is also referring to kindness and compassion within his own body, his own flock, our brothers and our sisters. How are we caring for the poor among our own body? How are we showing kindness to the brokenhearted among our local body and compassion for the persecuted church globally? Are our eyes open to missionaries sharing the gospel of the kingdom near and far? Are we aware of the lonely and isolated within the body of Christ? Are we showing mercy to our brothers and sisters who vote and operate differently for, from us? And are all of these encounters and conversations and relationships flowing out of a vital relationship with our King? And do they all point to and make a way for ongoing relationship with our King? The core of the question is, have we truly and fully made the priorities of Jesus ours? Do our calendars, our task lists, task lists, our budgets, our conversations, and our behavior reflect the priorities of Jesus? Truly, Jesus tells us, eternity is on the line. We cannot afford to be indifferent towards our king and his impending return. We cannot afford to be indifferent to his priorities. And we cannot afford to be indifferent towards lost humanity that will stand in judgment. Friends, this might all feel a little overwhelming. But let's consider the profound beauty of the expectation that Jesus sets. He wants us to be his sheep, to live in pursuit of his purposes. And his purposes are that the whole 
world would know his kindness. That those who are hungry would be fed. That those who are thirsty would receive water. That those alone would find a home and a family. That those who need clothing would be covered. That the sick would be tended to. That the prisoner would be set free. The priority of our king is that the whole world would come to know his kindness and that they would come to know him as their good and loving father, as their savior, and as their reigning king. And that we would all be ready for his return. This is what happens when we make his priorities our own. So again today, I'm going to close by praying for us. But I want to invite us all to do some reflecting with the Lord, either now or when it works best for you. Like David did, the shepherd king, David, like he did in the Psalms, We can ask the Lord to examine our hearts, to shine his searchlight, to point out ways in which our priorities maybe don't line up with his. We can repent and we can lay those down and we can ask us or ask him to give us a holy reset. To ask him to show us how he may be calling each one of us to share his heart, to be prepared for his return and to cooperate with him and preparing the world for his glorious return. Let's pray. God, we praise you as the one who is good and the one who is just. And God, we praise you as the one whose purpose is love. God, you're so good. And so, Lord, as we all come before you, I ask that you would show yourself to be a good, good father. God, we pray that you would speak truth to each one of us. Lord, that you would give us humble and contrite hearts that you would give us courage to order our lives and our priorities around being yours and living for your purposes and your priorities. God, I ask that you would help us to see the ways in which we've acted like goats. Lord, we've gone our own way. And Lord, would you help us to turn and to know what it is to go your way. And God, we thank you that you long for each one of us to inherit your glorious kingdom. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to stir hope in us and desire in us to live completely sold out for you and in preparation for your glorious return. We love you, Lord. Amen.